0: listening to the cleveland guardians fancast hosted by quincy wheeler and friends a podcast about the cleveland professional baseball team and its fans Hello and welcome to the Cleveland Guardians Fancast. I'm your host, Quincy Wheeler. You can find us at Guardian Fancast or at Quincy Wheeler1 on Twitter. You can find me at Quincy Wheeler1 on Hive and Blue Sky as well. The uh, Twitter fast continues for me. Uh, my Twitter friends usually join me for Guardians Party Line. We're unable to do so. So this is a solo podcast today, just catching up on a few things. Uh, the Guardians beat the Dodgers in game one, after losing three or four to the Detroit Tigers. There's not much worse than losing three or four to the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> so uh, that's something to process as a Guardians fan. Uh, but it, I, the big thing about the Tigers series for me was the realization that this team's not going to the playoffs. And admittedly, Cleveland beating the Dodgers and the twin losing makes you think, but what if? And then you have to face Clayton Kershaw the next day. and This team just doesn't have what it takes, in my opinion, and things just aren't bouncing the right way. I don't see it happening with the Twins. Easy schedule and the Guardians. Tough schedule to end the year. Guardians have some games left against the Twins, but probably not enough. I mean, if you sweep those games, maybe then you're talking something interesting. But even then, I think it would be tough. So I think it's safe to say, turn your attention to 2024, to trying to figure things out for 2024, which makes it frustrating that Cole Calhoun keeps batting every game because it's like, well, can we play Arias at first? Can we play Tyler Freeman at first? Can we put one of those bats in a DH and see what they're capable of? And then Cole Calhoun hits a big three-run homer to give the Guardians a 7-3 lead against the Dodgers, and it makes you feel like he should start every game. (laughs) Even though it was not exactly a no-doubter of a home run, it was good to see Cole Calhoun go to the plate and say, this lefty's going to throw me a strike, and I'm going to swing as hard as I can and hit it out. And then he was so excited about it that that's hard not to root for. He's obviously a popular guy in the clubhouse, Everyone after the game was talking about how happy they were for him. You could see Stephen Kwan, Jose Ramirez, all those guys greeting him at the plate, celebrating what he'd done. Uh, I completely understand why Cole Calhoun is on the team, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he's on the team the rest of the season. Still don't think he should probably be starting as much as he is. But I do appreciate they tend to have him sit against left-handers. Of course, he hit this home run off a left-hander lever. But they tend to have him sit against left-handers. And I do understand that guys seeing a veteran like him just give his all and every at-bat and show them how you should approach the game and, and keep your energy up in a somewhat of a lost season. I do appreciate that that has a lot of value for a team. And, and honestly, of course, I root for Cole Calhoun. <laughs> I root for him to succeed because I want the Guardians to concede, succeed. But also, who doesn't love seeing a 35-year-old make the majors again and have a little run, hit homers, uh, put a team on his back a couple times? That's great to see. The Guardians have so few homers going on, it's hard to argue with that. i like the team to still lean towards giving young guys at bats and seeing what they're capable of but I understand it. I get it. I'm making a commitment not to complain about it again and just to fall at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Cole Calhoun, and just appreciate him for what he brings to this team, so to speak. Uh, So with that said, some interesting comments from Terry Francona before the game uh, came out in regards to his future with the team. Not sure who asked the question, uh, but it was interesting to see that Tito implying that maybe this might possibly be a season that might conclude his career. Mandy Bell posted this and said that Tito said, I've talked to Chris and turn off about the future and everything because I don't want to put them in any remotely kind of predicament. So we've had a lot of talks about moving forward. I think my whole career, like the players have to always come first. I remember being in Birmingham and South Bend and thinking the players come first and the organization my situation would always take care of itself. I think to deviate from that now is wrong. So I think there's a time and there will be a time to answer any question there might be about what I'm going to do or not do. I don't think that's not because I don't ever want this. It can't be on me. I just can't let it. The other part is I don't want to lie or fib. We've all seen coaches, I'm probably talking about college coaches, but you know they're going somewhere, and somebody asks them a question point blank, and they go, no. An hour later, they've got a six-year deal. Don't ever be like that. Just telling you that we're getting there, and there's just a time, I think, to do it appropriately. To be honest, that quote sounds pretty clearly like he's going to retire at the end of the year. He's going to move on. I think that's why Paul Hoynes, after the game, asked... Three players, Calhoun, Straw, and Quan, about Tito implying this might be his last year. I thought that was a ridiculous thing for Paul Hoynes to do because Tito didn't say that it was his last year, and his whole implication behind that quote is, I'd rather not have the players be asked about this. But Hoynes has to go out of his way to ask those questions to guys who clearly seemed somewhat ambushed by it, at least strong Quan. Calhoun took it in stride because, again, he's a veteran. I thought that was kind of Bush League by Paul Hoynes, but you look at those comments, you listen to him, you read between the lines. It sounds pretty clearly like he's thinking in terms of this being his last season, moving to something different. I think the only thing that I wonder about this is, does it imply some level of discontent with the organization? Uh, I don't know like I, I might be leading a lot into it he just seems like Tito seems like Antonetti and Chernoff and him are always on the same page and Antonetti and Chernoff always talk about how much they appreciate Tito so that would be kind of a surprise but there does seem to be this whole situation will take care of itself and um coaches going somewhere, meaning going to a different organization. It's an interesting vibe to that that maybe I'm reading too much into. As far as if Tito goes, his replacements, I know that if you put that out into the social media sphere, everybody will say Sandy Alomar is going to coach and manage. And I just don't know if that's the case, because the last few times that Tito stepped down, it's been DeMarlo Marlo Hale who's been coaching managing the team. They tried Sandy Alomar. It didn't seem to go super well. So I do wonder if that's not really going to be the case, if maybe Sandy Alomar's chances at managing have passed him by. I don't know that there's a bad choice for manager among major league coaches if players like him and get along with them, if they seem like they can handle a clubhouse as long as they are guys who are willing to listen to the insights of analytics and try to run their team that way, try to make decisions that reflect the math that helps you understand what's the best thing to do in each situation, as well as, of course, of having a pulse of the team and and able to make deviations from that when it makes sense to do so. That's a lot of what managing a team is, and Tito does a great job of keeping guys engaged, of getting his teams to finish strong in general, and also of uh, managing guys uh, to keep them from getting injured. I think he does a pretty good job of that overall. There are exceptions. I'll never really forgive him for the way that he abused Shane Bieber's arm at the beginning of uh, 2021 and The effects that that's had on him since. But overall, I think he generally handles guys pretty well that way, which is a big part of being a manager. So you want to find all those things. To me, I'd be looking more towards probably a younger guy. I love Mike Sarbaugh. I love how he coaches third base. I love the general vibe that he has. I think he'd be a fun choice uh, as long as he's pro analytics. But and Carl Willis. I love listening to Carl Willis. But I do kind of wonder if guys like Luke Carlin, um, Matt Blake, uh, who's now a pitching coach at the Yankees, if, if those kind of younger guys, Rugalis Odor, if those are the kind he's a coach for Akron, manager for Akron, uh, Junior Batances, who's a well thought of hitting coach in the Guardians organization. Even Chris Valaika, those are the kind of names that I wonder if the team's going to look at and consider being younger guys, maybe in touch with the more analytical, sabermetric side of the game. Luke Carlin's definitely one that I would keep an eye out for as you listen and names begin to get rumored, which I think will happen fairly soon. Certainly have to appreciate the Terry Francona era and all he offers a team and the kind of manager he is. I think that I always has some questions about how he handled the Mickey Calloway situation. But everyone makes mistakes. All of us have clay feet. I know I certainly have. And I'm sure I'll make many more in my life. Um, so I'm definitely willing to extend forgiveness for that. And, you know, move past things like uh, what the heck happened with how he handled Yandy Diaz. Those are all little things in the big scheme of life. He's been a good manager and he's brought a lot of Uh, juice to this organization in terms of respect around baseball and being competitive year after year. So we should definitely appreciate that and hope that they make a good decision about the team for the future because I do think this quote implies that Terry Francona is probably going to step down at the conclusion of this season and maybe move into a more front office role. The rest of the season really got to focus on figuring out what we have in different guys, Oscar Gonzalez at a home run tonight. So, again, you see why they're starting him at DH, even though it's super frustrating to watch him chase pitches. There's a ball player in there, and they're trying to see what that ball player is like and if they can find the will inside them to move on from him. I do not understand in the Dodgers game why Miles Straw got in at bat in a game. Where the score um, was so close that he and he got an at bat with runners on base um, to and and got and hit into an out uh, with two runners on base, it didn't make sense to me because Ramon Laureano on the bench and he hits left handers well, hits left handers extremely well, and he can play center field competently. Now I, Myles Straw got another at bat against the left hander reliever later on in the game. And I assume that was because the Guardians have a lead and Tito's never going to take Miles Straw out of the game with a lead. But that first one just doesn't make any sense to me. Why would Laureano not get that at bat? And I still can't figure out things like that. Why are we so committed to batting Miles Straw in those late game runners on base situations? It doesn't make sense to me. I need someone to explain it to me from Tito's perspective, the front office's perspective, uh, perspective, I just really need to understand that. As far as the rest of the team goes, looking at Gonzalez, looking at Gabriel Arias, looking at um, Tyler Freeman and Brian Rocchio, I'm sure that this coming game against Kershaw will see Freeman and or Rocchio batting as left-handers, so that'll be good. Uh, it is such a tough decision about who will play shortstop for the Guardians. Uh, for the future, or if they switch him and as over. Because uh, Arias, he had a good hit tonight, and then he also had a strikeout. Like how A lot of ground balls coming from Arias still, but when he's able to lift the ball, it goes a long way. He hits the ball hard whenever he makes contact, but he just doesn't make contact consistently enough. Uh, Brian Rocchio hasn't been able to find that hard contact that he was able to produce in Akron in, at Columbus or Cleveland yet. And Tyler Freeman, aside from shoulder issues, he also doesn't hit the ball consistently hard, and that's hard not to be a little concerned about it at times. I did want to note that Jose Tania has a 952 OPS in Columbus. It's only 12 games, but that guy's really hitting well in Columbus, and I I do wonder about that if he might find his way into a breakout there, then what happens? Because Tanya has a really great glove. He definitely could play shortstop, shortstop in the majors. And if he can get to some of the raw power that he has, he actually had more raw power in high A than, say, Brian Rocchio or, or Gabriel Arias did. And it disappeared a little bit when he got to Akron. Uh, so if he could find that in Columbus... It might make things interesting. It's obviously a very small sample size right now, but interesting to see George Valera turning things around a little bit. He got a hit tonight. Uh, he got a couple of home run, a couple of multi homer games over the weekend. So hopefully he can continue that and make himself part of the conversation for the outfield for the future. I imagine that the Guardians are going to want to see another week or two of good results from him before moving him up. Got to consider bringing Jonathan Rodriguez up in September, I think, because that guy has a 1.122 OPS in Columbus. He just keeps hitting homers. He keeps getting on base and driving guys in. Right-hand hitter, striking out too much, but it's a small sample size in Columbus. I really think they probably need to see if they can get him a look at some point when the is expand uh, and put him on the 40-man because... He doesn't chase as much as Gonzalez. He does chase, but not as much as Gonzalez. So is it possible Jonathan Rodriguez is just a better version of Oscar Gonzalez? Uh, interesting to see and, and figure out if that's the case. Young Kenzie and Noel hit another homer. Hope he has a good solid end to the season because uh, the season hasn't been great for him. Angel Martinez got three hits in Columbus today tonight, uh, so... Hopefully that'll continue for him, and that's good to see. And Brian Lavacita's been doing pretty well uh, also for the team. Joey Cantillo hanging in there. Three walks again, but five strikeouts, only one run allowed, and three hits in four innings. Uh, There's definitely a pitcher there in in Joey Cantillo. Sorry, he might end up being a reliever, but definitely worth trying to keep him as a starter for now and seeing how that goes. Kyle Manzardo should be headed up to Columbus any day now. The Arizona Complex League season finished up tonight. He went 0 for 4, uh, no strikeouts though, and he got a couple hits the night before in a game that got rained out. So it looks like he's kind of getting his swing back and figuring out things. I imagine that he's going to need a little time at Columbus, but wouldn't be terribly surprised if they don't see if we don't if we see him in Cleveland at before the end of the year. Also wouldn't be surprised if we don't, wouldn't read too much into it. I would guess that he has a good shot of making the opening, opening day roster no matter what. But the Guardians have a team here that they're working on from Calhoun to Naylor to Fry. Don't necessarily need to put Manzardo in for, I don't know, a month. Maybe he could. I'm not against it, obviously. I'm all for it. But I wouldn't make a big deal out of it if they don't. It'll be interesting to see how they handle these pitchers now. Bobby's velocity was dropping a little bit. Does that mean he's getting close to time for him to be shut down for the year? See what happens there. And with Williams and Allen, I am so impressed with Xavion Curry quickly becoming one of my favorite guardians. Always keeps the team in the game. Always fun to watch. And uh, I have just appreciated so much that he's brought to the team this year. And it'll be fun to watch him finish the season, maybe earning himself a fifth spot in the rotation. We'll see how that goes. Sounds like Josh Naylor and David Fryer are working their way towards coming back. Maybe at the beginning of September might be a possibility. Um, Bieber and McKenzie may be making appearances in mid-September. That's what's sounding like as they work their way towards bullpens. Cal Quantrill feeling good about his velocity, but feeling like he's at the beginning of spring training. So I imagine he gets some more rehab starts before they have him rejoin the club. And those are mainly the off-day updates that everybody needs to know. Just excited and interested every night to see what Brian Rocchio, Gabriel Arias, and Tyler Freeman do. What they show about their skills. I mean, they don't have to show everything that they are, but just those glimpses of what kind of players they are and and what kind of players they're capable of being we'll help the team make a difficult decision coming up about which player is going to be in their long-term plans as Andres Jimenez double play partner. And that's crucial for the team. It's crucial for the team to also figure out what they're going to do about the outfield is it going to be like a Valera Loriano situation in right field Quan and left and Brennan straw platoon in center. That doesn't seem like it's going to be enough power-wise, so what can they do to increase the power that they need to find? Is it Loriano full-time in center? Is it Laureano and even Valera in center? Eh, that'll be interesting to see. It seems like we're a little bit further from figuring that out than we are from figuring the double play partner for Jimenez out, but we'll see as time goes on. It's an interesting time for the Guardians. Maybe not the kind of season we wanted, but interesting and exciting for the future. That's the way I feel about it, at least. I'm optimistic about the future while I've given up hope on the playoffs for this year. It's a big time period, maybe the most important time period for the Guardians in terms of increasing their chances at winning a World Series that we've seen for a while, this next six weeks or so, seeing what these young players are capable of showing about who they can be for the Guardians for the future. This has been the Cleveland Guardians FanCast. You can find us on any major podcast platform. Please remember to like, subscribe, download, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.